Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. And uh, we're going to be talking about the Mosaic Covenant uh, this, uh, this morning. If you are just tuning in for the first time or uh, visiting for the first time and you haven't uh, heard any of the other parts, this is part six. So if you want to get a better idea of what we're, what we're talking about, you're, you're, you're joining in the middle of a story then you'll want to go back to the, uh, to the recordings of the first five and just kind of catch up and you'll, you'll get a better context for some of the things that we're, uh, that we're saying. Lord, help us now and uh, we choose to lean in as you speak to us through your word. We are excited because you promised something to Adam and Eve in the Edenic Covenant that you were going to send a seed that was going to come out of a collective seed or people and that's what we're celebrating here at Christmas right now. And then you, you, uh, you reiterated that covenant with Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. At the core was this seed once again, and of course, eight other promises. And uh, now as we come to the Mosaic covenant, and we see how your plan just continued to unfold uh, because of your love for the nations because of your heart for everyone to come to know you. That's what it's all about. The entire thing, the entire promise to restore us uh, to a relationship with you that was lost in the Garden of Eden. So we ask you for wisdom, insight, understanding, guidance, direction as we, as we lean in and we choose to engage our minds and our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying... Amen and amen. Well, God called Abram to leave Ur, as we said last week, and go to a land that he would show them, or him. And God made nine promises into something that we collectively call the Abrahamic Covenant. During the covenant uh, ceremony, God told him that his people, the seed, a collective group, would be enslaved for 400 years in a foreign land, and then God would eventually deliver them. It happened just like God told Abraham. Joseph, the son of Jacob, was, uh, uh, was sold by his brothers and he went into, as, as a slave in, into Egypt. And there he came to be the second in power next only to Pharaoh. And because of a famine, Jacob and his family of 70, 70 moved from Canaan, or the promised land, into Egypt. And... Uh, Eventually, a pharaoh came to power who enslaved the Israelites. Nevertheless, the, uh, the Israelites multiplied greatly just like God had promised. Moses was born during this dark period, and when his mother hid him in a basket, fearing that his life would be taken, Pharaoh's daughter discovered, and uh, because she was childless, she adopted him. Thus, Moses grew up and was educated in the court of Egypt. When Moses was grown... He saw one of his countrymen being mistreated. Filled with indignation, he killed that Egyptian. Well, when word got out, he fled to Midian, where he lived for many years. Then one day, God called Moses to return to Egypt to deliver the Israelites. Moses told the captives that God would set them free and that he would be their God. He had not forgotten them. He had not forgotten the covenant made with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob because it went 
from Abram to Isaac to Jacob. So the covenant, just for, just for a moment, it went from, uh, from Adam and Eve, and then it went to Noah, and then Shem, and then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God had not forgotten that covenant. And he said he, he had not forgotten them. After 10 powerful plagues, the Egyptians practically drove the Israelites out of Egypt during the night, and with such great possessions that it was said of the Israelites that they had virtually plundered the Egyptians. No sooner had they left, however, and Pharaoh changed his mind again, pursuing to the edge of the Red Sea. God delivered the Israelites through a pathway in the sea before bringing the piled up waters back down and destroying the entire Egyptian army. And word of that got out to all the nations. Days later, God called Israel to assemble at Mount Sinai to constitute them into a nation, giving them a governmental system and a corresponding set of laws. There God promised to bless them for obedience and he warned them of curses for disobedience. The nation accepted the terms of the agreement at Mount Sinai and entered into a covenant with God. This was a covenant now, though we call it the Mosaic Covenant, it really was a covenant with Israel, an entire nation. Last week, we expanded on some of the promises, and we talked specifically about, you know, a great nation, what that meant, a righteous nation, land, and the unique seed. We spent most of our time on talking about the unique seed, who is Jesus Christ, that we're celebrating right now. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the land again, and then we're going to end with talking about the blessing to the nations, because Israel was supposed to be a blessing to the nations. This is part of the nine promises made to Abraham within the Abrahamic covenant and was being fulfilled in the time of Moses and Joshua and the judges and so on. There are two matters, however, concerning the land that we're going to have to clear up in this message. And we'll begin with that right now. <clears throat> Now, why did God send Israel out of Canaan only to bring her back again? That's the first question we want to answer. When God promised the land of Canaan to Abraham hundreds of years earlier, Abraham was already in the promised land. Remember, God had called him out of Ur and said, go to the land I will show you. When he got there, he said, look, north, south, east, west, this is the land I'm going to give you. So when God told him that his people, this seed, this collective seed, was going to go into, uh, was going to be enslaved, and then God was going to deliver and bring him back, the question is, why did he do that? He was already in the land. Why didn't he just raise them right there? Well, uh, we see a couple, and I mean, we, we, could, we could give an entire message on this, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to summarize it very quickly because there's so much ground we want to cover today, all right? First of all, so that Israel would come to know God. In Exodus 6, 6 to 8, it says, Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you up uh, out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. They would learn some diff a variety of things, such as that God keeps his covenant. Even if it's hundreds of years later, when God says he's going to keep his promises, God keeps his promises. Is that true? 
And because he kept his promises with them in history, that's what gives us the assurance that he's going to keep the promises that are still outstanding. Isn't that right? Uh, that he keeps his covenant. He's powerful. He's more powerful than all the gods. All the plagues were judgments against the different gods of, of Egypt. He's compassionate. He loved them. That's another one. He, he answers prayer because it cried out to him, and so he sends Moses to be the deliverer. He is sovereign over the nations and over the, over the earth. They learned all kinds of things about God in an experiential way in history as God intervened in their lives. Second, God, want, uh, God delivered them so that the Egyptians, or so that the people and the nations would come to know the Lord. Here's some examples. The Egyptians would come to know the Lord. Exodus 14 says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall what? Know that I'm, and you can speak back to me. <laughs> Here, that's totally okay in this church, okay? And the Egyptians shall know that what? I am the Lord. Thank you so much. I love it when you do that. A mixed, and, and we know that when, when uh, Israel uh, left Egypt, it says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, that a mixed multitude went out with them. And many Egyptians went out with the Hebrews uh, because they believed they had come to know the Lord. They had come to believe in Yahweh. Jethro is another example. Moses' father-in-law came to know the Lord this way. In Exodus 18, says Jethro was delighted. This is Moses' father-in-law, right? And uh, he was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. And uh, when, when um, Moses told him about what had happened, and he said, Jethro said, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. And the, and the following verses say that he brought sacrifice and sacrifice to, uh, to um, the God of Israel. He came to know the Lord that way. The nations came to know the Lord through this. Ezekiel 39, 7 says, The nations will know that I, the Lord, am the Holy One in Israel. For a multitude of disorganized and unarmed slaves to walk out from a ruthless empire with great possessions is entirely impossible. Just completely unheard of. It had never happened before, it has never happened since. And the nations heard about this God. And they came to know him that way. Listen, I, 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 I'm putting up this statement. Everything that God does in the affairs of mankind and the nations of the, of the world are all calculated to make people know him. He's still intervening in history today. He's still directing the affairs of the nations today because he wants a maximum number of people to know him. That's what it's all about, amen? That's why he does what he does. Secondly, God was fair in giving Israel the land of Canaan. Now, uh, many people have charged and others worry, <laughs> and that's fair, that God is unfair 
in the way he gave land to Israel by removing other people from the land. So let's look at that and see if God is actually fair. And don't forget the statement that I just made about God uh, wants people to know. First, since God owns the earth, he can do as he pleases, don't you think? If you own, your, if you own something, don't you think you can do with it as you please? Psalm 24 says, the earth is the whose, and everything in it. Therefore, he has the right to do as he pleases. As landowner, God called the nations, you know what he called them? Simply tenants. They don't own it. Uh, Leviticus 25, 23 says, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens and my tenants. The Canadians do not own Canada. God does. The Americans do not own America. God does. Israel still doesn't own the land that she is in, that she occupies today. God does. God owns it all. We're tenants, and we're supposed to be good stewards of it. True? Second, God strategically placed nations so they would know him. To that one again. God is not partial. He treats the nations fairly. He said in Deuteronomy 10, the awesome God who is not partial, and it goes on to say, and does not accept bribes. God actively gives land to and fixes the borders of all nations. In Deuteronomy 32, uh, God says, The Most High gave to the nations their inheritance. He fixed the borders of the peoples. He didn't do this haphazardly. He set Israel at the center of the nations, as we said last week. Remember, we looked at Ezekiel 5, 5. Here it is again. This is Jerusalem, which I've set in the center of the nations with countries all around her, all so that, she would, that they would know God. In this way, Israel could be a kingdom of priests, shining light so that the other nations would come to know the Lord too. But Paul tells us that God strategically settles the other nations for this same purpose, that they might know the Lord. He's still doing it because Paul said in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 to 27, after Jesus had arisen and ascended into heaven, and, uh, and uh, perhaps after uh, Rome had destroyed, uh, you know, shortly before or after uh, Rome had destroyed Jerusalem, from one man he made every nation of men that they might that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not very far from any one of us. That's the purpose for which God is doing what he does. All right, third, not only... Does God own the earth? And uh, we are just tenants. He can do what he pleases. Not only does God strategically place nations so they would know him, but God drove out peoples for other nations uh, as well, not just for Israel. In other words, not only did he drive the Canaanites out before the Israelites, he did the same thing for other nations. And we've got some examples in Scripture. 
The Edomites, for example, God says, he gave land to the Edomites by driving the Horites out. Deuteronomy 2. The Lord had done the same for the descendants of Esau, who lived in Seir when he destroyed the Horites before them. They drove them out and have lived in their place to this day. Same thing. Do you see that? It wasn't just Israel. The Moabites. Deuteronomy 2 verse 9. I've given R to the descendants of Lot, or Moab is the context that he's talking there, because Moab and Ammon were from Lot. As a possession, we learned that the Moabites dispossessed the Emites. The Emites, he says in verses 10 to 11, the very next verses, used to live there. The Ammonites, also descendant of Lot, they destroyed, uh, the Lord destroyed them, the Zamzamites. If you go back just a verse before, it, it, set, it calls them the Zamzanites. From before the Ammonites, who drove them out and settled in their place. There's another group that he did this for, the Mennonites. And he gave us Steinbach. <laughs> <laughs> the promised land, amen? <laughs> That's not in Scripture. I'm just kind of interjecting my own ideas. The Philistines and the Syrians, he did it for them. He says, did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Syrians from Kerr? We know the Philistines occupied Gaza and the Syrians Syria. Israel wasn't allowed to just drive out whoever they pleased either. It was only the ones that God said, and he did it for a reason, as we're going to come to in just a minute. I, have not, I will not give you, Israel, any of Edom's land. There is an example. Here's another one. Do not harass the Moabites, for I will not give you any part of their land. God didn't want to replace all. They weren't like the imperialist empires who just went and destroyed everybody and, and consumed everybody. God wasn't, listen, God didn't want to replace all the nations with Israel. He desired to save the nations through Israel. Do you see that? Through a tiny kingdom of priests. He says they weren't very numerous and they weren't. All right, fourth. God judged and removed Israel from her land as well. God didn't arbitrarily remove people from their lands. He had just cause. For example, he waited 400 years to give the Canaanites the, uh, or, or to remove the Canaanites and give it to Israel. Look what he said to Abram. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here into Canaan, or promised land, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God held the Canaanites to a moral standard, just as he does all nations, including Canada and America and the West. God warned the Israelites not to engage in the practices of the Egyptians, nor of the Canaanites whom they would soon dispossess. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of, of Canaan. The, the immorality and the wickedness of those countries was de, of, of those nations was debauched. 
And you can read a whole list of it right there in that whole passage if you continue in verses 523. We just don't have the time today. But one of the things they, they did was they, they would sacrifice their children on red-hot idols. Live! You think that isn't debauched? It's wicked. And and God wouldn't toler- finally wouldn't tolerate it. While the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional, the Mosaic covenant was conditional. To remain in the land, they had to obey. They couldn't do as the other nations were doing, or they too were going to be thrown out, God said. He says, if, what's the word? The conditional word is, if you then become corrupt, and you'll see this uh, throughout in Deuteronomy and, and parts of the Torah there, or the, the Pentateuch, or those five books of Moses, you'll see that continually in, under the Mosaic Covenant. If you obey, or if you do not de- obey, you then become corrupt and make uh, any kind of vile doing evil. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations. He said that to Israel. But Israel did become as evil as those God had driven out before them. Speaking of King Ahab of Israel's northern kingdom, we're talking about the northern kingdom because in 931 BC, the kingdom was separated, you know, from Rehoboam, and it went to the northern kingdom, ten tribes, and the southern kingdom of two tribes. Remember that? Speaking of the northern ten, which had 19 wicked kings in a row, he said... He, King Ahab, remember King Ahab and Jezebel, he, became, he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the who? Who? The Amorites. Where did you hear about the Amorites? Genesis 15, 16, where God said to Abraham, I, uh, uh, they won't, they'll only come out in the fourth generation because... Because the sins of the Amorites in Canaan, or the Promised Lands, hasn't reached its full measure yet. Now he says, he, King Ahab, and all of Israel, behaved uh, like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. They're as bad as. When Elijah became despondent about the spiritual condition of Israel under Ahab, God instructed Elijah to travel north. Now, this is fascinating. Okay, still talking about King Ahab. Remember the story? And Elijah and Elisha are ministering in this apostate northern kingdom of ten, ten, those ten tribes. Not one of them was good. Not, not one of those 19 kings. They were all evil, the scripture says, every time. You can read it. Elijah, remember he had the contest, called fire down from heaven and, uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, won the contest. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And 400 prophets of Baal were slaughtered. And Jezebel, a Phoenician who brought Baal worship into northern Israel when she married King Ahab, she chased after him and he fled for his life. Do you remember? And he was hiding in a cave and he thought, there's nobody else lives for God anymore. I'm the only one left. And then God said, in his despondency, said, no. By the way, do you ever feel that way? (laughs) You're the only one left. And that's okay. And God says, assured him that there was 7,000 head and bowed their knee. And then God had him anoint three people. We don't have time to go into the other two, but I will mention the one. 
God said to Elijah, I want you to go to Hazel. I want you to go to Syria and anoint Hazel to be the next king. Syria, that's their arch enemy. You mean a prophet of God, God calls a prophet, one of his own prophets from his own people and sends them to their arch enemy to anoint him in order to discipline his own people. Here it is. 2 Kings 10.32, in those days the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. Hazel defeated them throughout the territory of Israel. Progressive judgment. He sends the prophets, then he, he sends warning, he sends famine. He, finally he starts to take, weaken them, and finally he exiles them. The nations of the world today need to take heed, and so does Canada. We're already under progressive judgment. But that's for another time. Not only did God use Israel to be a rod against the other nations, he also used the other nations to be a rod of discipline against Israel. Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger. In 722, <clears throat> 722 BC, God finally sent the Assyrians to take Israel into exile. It says that in 2 Kings chapter 17, just seven chapters later, and says they're completely in exile. Israel was exiled for many of the same reasons that God had expelled the other nations. You want to see how detestable the Israelites had become? Okay, here it is. Go to Psalm 106. Israel shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, listen to this, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his inheritance. Then he gave them into the hand of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. That was the northern kingdom. Here, you want to see the southern kingdom? They didn't fare much better. God repeatedly sent prophets to warn them, but Judah wouldn't listen. Though the Lord has sent all his servants, Jeremiah said this, the prophets to you again and again, you haven't what? Listen, see, the point I'm making here is, God doesn't just treat the nations a certain way and Israel in a different way. He treats them identically. And he has the same moral expectations of all the nations. True? But God's long-suffering ran out with him and he announced disaster for Judah too. And by the way, he's long-suffering with all the nations. Look how long he waited with the Amorites. And look how long he waited with the Israelites. He's not quick to judge. He's long-suffering. God is. 2 Kings 21, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done things more evil than all that the who? Oh my goodness, there's the Amorites again. The northern kingdom had done as much evil or more as the Amorites, and now the southern kingdom has done as much evil as the Amorites. And that should catch our attention. Because when we know what happened to the Amorites, we know what's coming to the Israelites. Amen? And has made Judah also to sin, therefore I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that their ears 
of everyone who hears of it will what? Tingle. Wow. In fact, God personally summoned Judah's enemy, the Babylonians, to come and take the Jewish people from the land into exile. Because you have not listened to my words, Jeremiah said, I will summon my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against him, him and his people, against this land and its inhabitants. This whole country, Judah, will serve the king of Babylon for how many years? Seven years. Remember that number. So in 605 B.C., beginning in 605, three deportations began. They went into exile at the hands of the Babylonians. 605. Fifth, though God judged the nations, they could still be saved. <laughs> you know, Egypt could have repented when God was judging her. The Ninevites repented before judgment even began, just before Jonah's preaching. And God saved her and kept her from judgment. And many of the Egyptians did, in fact, become believers, as we've found out. Notwithstand and, and Jethro, uh, he, he got saved. And, and then when the Isra Israeli spies were scouting out Jericho, the Canaanite prostitute Rahab believed in the Lord. Right? And she ends up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, uh, or is it 15? I don't know. Somewhere in Matthew 1 there. In the genealogy of who? Jesus Christ. She married Salmon. And Salmon and her bore Boaz. And Boaz was the great-grandfather of who? King David. Exactly right. Amazing. Incredible. God loves the peoples of the world. God loves the nations. Is that true? And he'll do whatever it takes to get them to know him. Number th the third thing. God chose Israel to bless the nations as he promised Abraham. So we, we said we'd talk about the land. We did a little bit about the land. Now, now we're going to talk about it, how God chose Israel to bless the nations. God didn't choose them because they were numerous, he says in Deuteronomy 7.7. 7. He also didn't choose them because they were more righteous, Deuteronomy 9, verse 4 to 6. In fact, he says you're a stiff-necked people. So then what was the purpose for which God chose Israel? Isaiah 41.9. I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. Remember in Genesis, to Abraham he said, I will make you a nation and through, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Exactly. And now the prophets who are always calling the people back to the covenant. Always. This is what Isaiah says. You are my servant, Israel. He didn't appoint or select Israel from among the nations for salvation. Sometimes people have this mistaken notion that God elected or chose Israel to be saved and not the other nations. But that's not, that's not the case at all. That's a complete misreading of the Old Testament scriptures. They were to be a conduit of God's blessing to the nations. Um, they were to be the means by which the other nations would receive the blessing of God through the promised unique seed who would crush Satan and bless them with salvation. That was the way. 
It was incredible. So that's why God warned the other nations concerning Israel. So when you read, like, for example, and there's a number of places where this comes up. I saw it in a couple of places this week. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. Whoever touches you, Israel, touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them. It sounds like, oh, he's just, just pure favoritism. No, it's not about favoritism. They were a special possession, but they were a special possession because they had a purpose. They were supposed to bring salvation and a savior to the world, amen? And so if the nations were going to touch Israel, they were going to touch the very means by which God was going to save them. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's why he loves people. He loves you and me, <laughs> even though we're not Jews. And even though we're not part of, uh, of Israel in that sense, okay? All right. Following are several ways in which Israel blessed the nations. Romans says that they have, the Jews were entrusted with the very words of God. The words revealed who God was, what he was like, what he had done, what he was doing, and what he would yet do. They also showed us his words, how to relate to God and how to approach him and how to relate to each other. Deuteronomy 4 says, observe them, these laws, carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. And many did come to see, uh, to say, to see that. And today, God's word has spread from Israel to every nation of the world. And we hold it today because God brought his word to Israel and, from, and through Israel to us. Amen? That's why we have God's word. It's this isn't written by Gentiles. It's written by... Huh? Exactly, it's written by Jews. Exactly. Second, nations learned of God's ways through his interaction with Israel. First, he would, you know, that God blessed Israel for obedience. God said that the nations would note when he blessed them. He said, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And, and this was to act as an incentive for the nations to obey the Lord too. And, and also that God disciplined Israel for disobedience. Not only that he blessed them for obedience, but he also disciplined them for disobedience. They became an enactment, a drama if you like, a, an example, a model that he put on the world stage and said, this is how I deal with the nations. Look at what I do with Israel, and you see what I do with everyone else. And so they would come to know him that way. All the nations will ask, for example, if, they, if Israel was disciplined, why has the Lord done this to this land, to the Israelites? Why this fierce burning anger? And the answer will be, is because his people abandoned the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshipped other gods. Therefore, the Lord uprooted them from this land and thrust them into, the, uh, into another land. This would act as a warning to the other nations as well. So we received that, a modeling, not only the scriptures, but a modeling. Number three, the nations received salvation and a savior from Israel. That's the chief blessing the nations received from Israel. The gospel. <laughs> I will, I, uh, Isaiah 49 says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my what? 
that you will bring my what? Salvation to the ends of the earth. True, many led by the religious leaders rejecting crucified Christ centuries later. But don't forget that a great multitude mourned and lamented for Jesus as he was led to his crucifixion. Yes, many religious leaders rejected him. Sometimes we go too far in saying all Israel rejected him. No, that's not true. Luke 23 says, There followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him, Jesus. Second, if it wasn't for the great Jewish apostles, the world would never have received the Gospels, and all but one of them were martyred in order to do that. They were willing to be martyred in order that we could have the Gospel. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, and, and the greatest of them was, you know, for the Gentiles, was the Apostle Paul. Further, when persecution came against the early Jewish Christians, because the early church was made entirely of Jewish believers, thousands of them, and when persecution came against them, Jewish believers, in Jerusalem, they scattered through Judea and Samaria, and they carried the gospel with them. And others came to know him that way. Little wonder Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation comes from the, comes from the Jews. There it is. Fourth, the nations received the church from Israel. The synagogues came into existence, for example, in, during the time of the Babylonian uh, exile. Think about this. Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, they're in exile for 70 years. What do you do for worship? You can't go to the temple. True? So they began to meet in homes during those 70 years in exile. That was the beginning of the synagogue system. That was the early, early, early stages of it. It wasn't formalized there, but that's, that's how it began. And when they came back from exile, from Babylonian exile, back to Jerusalem, guess what? Only a small remnant came back. The rest remained scattered throughout the Babylonian, well, by then it was the Medo-Persian Empire. And so they continued to meet in small groups and that sort of thing. So by the time you get to the Apostle, you know, the New Testament, Jesus goes to a, like by then, the temple was rebuilt, but the synagogue system is already in place, and Jesus even went and taught in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And the Apostle Paul, when he took the gospel, to the surrounding nations, he always began at the synagogues that were all spread throughout the entire, well, at that time it was the Roman Empire now because it went from the, Medo, uh, you know, the Babylonians to Medo-Persians, Greeks, and then the Romans. And there was Romans during the New Testament era, right? And so that became the predecessor because then when Paul got thrown out of synagogues, he went and met the same way and today we call that the, the church. <laughs> that became the model. The church comes not from the Gentiles. The church comes from the Jews. Exactly. That's where we got it. All right, I want to finish with one last main point here. I hope this will bless you. Not that I don't hope that the first part <laughs> wouldn't bless you, but... God's purposes to bless the nations through Israel isn't done. 
When Israel didn't meet the conditions for remaining in the land, God removed her in two stages, as we've mentioned, but for review, because I want this in your minds and in your hearts. 722 B.C., the northern kingdom of ten tribes. They go into exile, and they never, ever return. 605, three deportations for the, 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 the southern kingdom of two tribes, roughly, uh, begins to Babylon. And, um, and, uh, and for 70 years. But God promised to bring the southern kingdom back from Babylonian exile after a 70-year period of discipline. And we find that in Jeremiah chapter 25. If you want to write that down, you can go look that up in Jeremiah 25, 8 to 11. In fact, that's what Daniel was reading. Daniel, because Jeremiah was before Daniel, and Daniel's an exilic prophet. He was prophesying during the time of the exile in Babylon and Medo-Persia. And he was reading the prophet Jeremiah about these 70 years exactly. Why did God bring Israel back? Because is, and here's the reason. Because God's purpose is for Israel to bless the nations. The purposes weren't complete yet. They had brought the law. They had brought some modeling but they certainly hadn't brought a savior yet, and they hadn't brought the church and the apostles and salvation the way we understand it, like, you know, the, the full understanding of it. The 70-year discipline had cursed Israel, or, I'm sorry, had cured Israel of idolatry. When Israel, because she was so involved in idolatry, just like the other nations, as, as I mentioned, the sacrificing of kids and, and, and so on and so forth, Israel never got involved in idolatry again. And she came back from that 70-year period of discipline. Though she eventually drifted into what I would call an orthodox legalism. By that I mean is they, they were right, they stood on the truth, they didn't, uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't uh, follow idols and all this kind of stuff, but it became a dead religion. Just legalistic and lifeless, which is what we see when we open our New Testaments a couple, uh, you know, 400 years after the writing of Malachi. Truth without life. When God brought Israel back, she was never fully autonomous again. She was under the medium Persian, you know, and the Greeks and the, and, and the Romans, uh, which we see when the New Testament opens up. Nevertheless, as a gathered people, she could give birth to the Savior, which is what we celebrate during this season. Amen. And she couldn't have done that if she was still in exile. He brought her back because her purposes weren't done. And, uh, and this, uh, you know, which was the seed promised to Eve and to Abraham. The gospel came from that nation, even though she was semi-autonomous, not fully autonomous. The apostles and their writings, the New Testament writings, they came from that period, and the church, as we mentioned. But because her leaders rejected the Messiah and led the people to reject him too, many of them, Jesus prophesied that she would go into exile again and that, and that the temple would, and Jerusalem would be destroyed. Remember he said that in Matthew chapter 24 when they were leaving the temple and said, and said isn't this an amazing temple? And he said, not one stone will be left unturned. And sure enough, in 70 AD, the Romans came and they, they destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple and they were cruel and they brutally, 
crucified and murdered many of the Jews and the rest fled for their lives and were scattered through the nations for the next 1900 years. But in 1948, and by the way, for 1900 years Israel was in exile, many theologians concluded that God's purposes for Israel were complete. But in 1948, the nation of Israel was supernaturally reborn. Incredible. Never done before. Never happened before. And they're alive the third time. Why? The same reason they were brought back the second time. Israel's purposes in the land isn't complete. God still intends to save both Israel and the nations. How? Israel still doesn't know the Lord today. There are many that are coming to, to Christ, but it's still a very tiny percentage. She will be attacked again by a consortium of nations, and she will be defeated again. Zechariah says that. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem, and we see the, the, how, the, how the battle lines are being drawn up. And the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord Jesus will come and fight on her behalf and bring her back into the land in the most incredible deliverance the world has ever seen. In fact, it says in, in Zechariah 14, says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And then it talks about how Mount of Olives will be split, uh, split in half to the north and to, uh, and to, to the south, and they will flee into, into that area. But no more about that <laughs> today. But the deliverance will be so great, think about this now, listen, that all will forget about the deliverance from Egypt. I mean, the Exodus? Are you serious? That's what Jeremiah said. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said or spoken of, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. And then... All Israel will know the Lord. Remember, we looked at that verse last week? And, um, and here it is again. It's in, the new, it's in part of the New Covenant. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will what? All know me. <laughs> like in that first exodus. But this will be a greater deliverance and a greater exodus than that one. And the nations will also know that Jesus is Lord. Ezekiel 36 says, The nations will know that I am the Lord when I show myself holy through, through you before their eyes, for I will take you out of the nations. Uh, I will gather you from all the countries, bring you back into your own land. And then Jesus will set up. Jesus will set up his kingdom on earth and rule as the eternal Davidic king from Jerusalem. Zechariah 14, 16 says, Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king. 
the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. And Israel will truly be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, just like he said they would. Amen? That's still ahead of us. We celebrate that they came back a second time because they hadn't fulfilled all the purposes. They were supposed to bring forth a Savior and a gospel and the apostles and their writings, the New Testament writings, and the church. He brought them back to fulfill that. He kept his promises. He had to discipline them for a period of time, and then he brought them, just like he disciplines all the nations, and then he, had to bring, and then he brought them back so they could fulfill their purpose. And now he's bringing her back a third time because he isn't finished with her yet. He's going to deliver her one more time in a humdinger of a deliverance. It's going to make us all forget about the Exodus. And then he's going to set up his kingdom right there, and he will be the Davidic king that will reign righteously through them forever and ever. Amen? Are you looking forward to that? <laughs> Amen. That's what we're celebrating. God bless you.